Fish Bites Podcast. I'm Aram Layton, and I'm joined by probably the most anticipated guest we've had on the show, longtime Marlins broadcaster and Fox Sports Florida analyst, Tommy Hutton. Tommy, thanks for joining me. Well, I, I, I don't know about anticipated guest. I mean, you, you did your show just start yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> actually, you know what? We've actually been having some pretty good guests line up. So I'm telling you, Marlins fans have really grabbed a hold of you since you've been a broadcaster for 19 years. I mean, how has it been? How has it been to be back uh, around the Marlins? And how has that experience been so far? You know, it's it's uh, for me because I was uh, un uninvolved for a couple of years, two and a half years. Um, you know, I was actually kind of leading a normal life, so to speak. Uh, but it's been fun to get back involved because I I love baseball, and I think uh, any fans that uh, ever listened and and watched our telecasts got that feeling that I I truly was invested not only in the game, but, but in the Marlins. And so it's kind of been fun to get back, uh, get down on the field and talk to some of the young players and, and, and just kind of uh, interact with everybody and get involved. So that, to me, that's been the fun part. And fans are just as excited as you are to be back and have you back. But before we talk about your career in the booth, uh, you had a 12-year MLB career. You played with the Dodgers, the Phillies, the Blue Jays, and the Expos. Can you talk a little bit about your baseball career? You, you know, you played and you grew up in California, Los Angeles. Uh, it's a hotbed for baseball. What was your journey like to the MLB? You know, it was, a, it was an interesting journey. It was a long journey. Uh, when I signed, I signed with the Dodgers and the uh, scout that signed me was Tommy Lasorda, uh, who scouted me in high school. So I started my journey in the, uh, in the Dodger organization. Uh, and I thought after the first couple of years, because I had a real good first year and then in double A, I, I led the Texas League in hitting and I thought my journey would get there fast. I did get there uh, for the month of September when I was uh, 20 years old, but that was just for, as they say, a cup of coffee. And uh, then I went to AAA and I spent uh, about five years in AAA. Uh, got called up one time uh, during during that five-year period. Uh, Wes Parker was the first baseman with the Dodgers, and he had an appendectomy, and uh, they they needed me to fill in for about three weeks. So, but other than that, a long time in in AAA, and then I really didn't get my major league break until I got traded to the uh, Philadelphia Phillies. And in the off season of uh, of '71, I got traded to uh, Philadelphia, and then from that point on, I I stayed in the uh, major leagues for the next uh, ten and a half, eleven years. And how was it playing in Los Angeles back then? Because I know everyone says Florida, California, and Texas are kind of those baseball hotbeds. Was it really competitive even when you were playing? And, and how did that help you get to where you wanted to be? Yeah, I think it was. And I think mainly because in those areas that you mentioned, um, you can play year round. And even though, and it was different back in 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 the 60s and in the 70s, 60s, when I was coming up, you played all sports. And, and it's different now. You have these kids going on travel teams and, and just playing baseball all year. Um, we, we played whatever sport was in season. Uh, we did get a chance to play a little more baseball maybe than others. Uh, and it was competitive. Uh, it, it was great 
growing up out there because you had that opportunity. But uh, now I think kids get a little too focused just on baseball and which in, in one respect is good, but in another, they're not learning the athleticism maybe of other sports. And, and you see teams now are, are trying to draft kids who are athletes. And I think that's interesting because maybe they pick a kid. Uh, well, a good example is JT Real Muto, a Marlins all-star, a tremendous basketball and football player in high school, uh, was a shortstop until he, he just started catching a little bit his senior year. And he's an athlete. And I think you can see that when you watch him play. Uh, and, and my opinion, there should be more kids that are like that, that get, that should get drafted and get opportunities. And we've seen that in the draft, as you mentioned, Kyler Murray, Oklahoma quarterback going ninth overall. You have Jalen Adams or Jordan Adams, rather four star wide receiver who chose to play baseball out of high school. And of course, Will Banfield, who was on the show a couple weeks ago, multi-sport athlete most of his life, really athletic catcher. That seems to be the future of the position. You mentioned JT Rio Muto, the Marlins all-star. Now that you're back with the team, you mentioned you were away for a little bit. Now you're back and you got more acquainted so far. What has impressed you with this Marlins team and what do you like so far that you've seen? I'm, I'm amazed at uh, some of the young players and, and I'll speak of uh, JT and, and the other JT, JT Riddle and uh, Brian Anderson uh, at the maturity they have. Uh, talking to Brian Anderson the other day about his approach to hitting, uh, it was like you were talking to a 10-year veteran. And I think it's shown in the success he's had the first half of the season. So uh, that, that's probably been the most impressive thing to me is, is that there's some quality young guys and you need those uh, veteran influences around them. And they have a, a Martin Prado. Uh, certainly a Starlin Castro, uh, guys who have uh, uh, certainly had experience, had success, and I think they're good for the young players. And I hear a lot of the young pitchers talk about uh, the influence that Dan Straley's had on them. So uh, it's it's been fun to see how mature a lot of these young guys really are. And you mentioned Dan Straley and Martin Prado. Those are known around the league as some of the best clubhouse guys. When you were playing, who was the guy that kind of showed you the ropes and helped you get comfortable? You know, let's see. When I when I first came up with the Dodgers, it was it was different back then because when you got called up in, like I said, I was 20 years old, you didn't speak unless you were spoken to. <laughs> but I, I'll tell you a great story, and, and I'll always remember this, and it, it kind of carried on in my career, and I tried to do it myself. Um, certainly not to the degree it happened to me, but the very first game that I ever got in was just one inning playing first base, one inning of defense. And I got to play behind Sandy Koufax. He was the pitcher for the Dodgers oh, wow. that night. And it was in LA. There were over 50,000 people there and that was my hometown. Uh, and when the game ended, of course, I was excited. I was a 20 year old kid. I had just gotten uh, an inning under my belt in the major leagues and I'm, I'm sitting in my locker and, and Sandy Koufax came over to my locker and congratulated me for getting in my first major league game. And so that, that made such an impression that as I got to the big leagues, I always tried to make a point to congratulate a guy who got his first hit or first game or first win as a pitcher. And, uh, it was, it was just one of those things that always impressed me. 
Well, it's hard to be more impressed by anyone more impressive than Sandy Koufax. That's something <laughs> that's uh, I, I didn't even I didn't even think about that that you were playing in that same time as Sandy. That's unbelievable. I mean, I, I think no matter what happens in your career, that's something that no one can take away from you. Just like that first hit and first appearance is that experience with Sandy Koufax. <laughs> Talking about your new role with the team. I, know, I saw an interesting quote you mentioned because talking about your playing time that uh, in an interview and you said, the interesting part is I'm a fill-in. It's like I'm coming off the bench, I'm an extra man, and that's the way I was my whole career. It works out perfect. That was the quote. Can you talk a little bit about that position that you're going to have in the pre- and post-game show and what fans can expect? Yeah, that's, uh, that is interesting, and that's true. I, I'm, I'm basically a, uh, a fill-in, and that's, that's what I did most of my career. Um, it's, it is different, uh, doing the, uh, pre and post game, uh, because the, the game, when you're, when you're working a game, everything's reactionary and it's uh, spontaneous and uh, things are going to happen that you don't anticipate that you don't think are going to happen. Uh, thus, thus a rant occurs once in a while, <laughs> but. Oh, we'll be getting into doing, that. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, but, but doing a, a pre and post game show. As an example, when we do a, a pregame show, we have a meeting with our producer and we go over the, the content of the show. So we have an idea to uh, jot down some notes. And, and so we know what we're going to talk about. And in the postgame show, we're basically talking about and reacting to what happened in the game. So it's, it's, it's much different than, than doing the uh, spontaneity of a, of a game, an actual game being a broadcaster doing the pre and post game. I've enjoyed it. Uh, it's fun working with Craig. I mean, I've been around Craig for years and I've enjoyed Jeff Nelson and Gabby Sanchez is, is involved. And, uh, we, we did one uh, studio show and I look forward to doing some more with him. So it's a, uh, it's a different, uh, a different beast, so to speak, but it's, uh, I, I enjoy it. And I think at this time of my, uh, my career, my life, I think this is just perfect. <laughs> But it sounds great, and I know fans are just excited to have you back in any capacity. What's it like working with Gabby Sanchez? You watched him come up to the big leagues as a player when you were in the booth. Now you're working alongside him. Yeah, that was fun. I mean, we we talked about that a little bit uh, the one time we worked uh, in the studio. And and actually, not only did I see him come up, I actually saw him play because my my youngest son went to uh, FAU. And they they always played a couple of two or three games against Miami, and he played against uh, Miami when Gabby was there. So uh, it's it's fun uh, uh, being able to see a guy transition from a player because it was something I did, and it's fun to see guys put in the work and and put in the time and make that transition from player to broadcaster. Well, speaking about partners as well, of course, Rich Waltz, your longtime partner in the booth, you guys had an unbelievable chemistry. You actually tweeted you had run into him not too long ago uh, at the gym a couple months ago, and uh, Marlins <laughs> fans went wild. You said it wasn't quite the magnitude of a Beatles reunion, but I think for, for, for some of the Marlins fans, it was just about the magnitude of a Beatles reunion. Uh, what, do you guys, what do you think made you guys so compatible in the booth and uh, work so well off each other? You know, I, I think we both had the, uh, the same outlook of, of baseball. We both... Uh, uh, love the game and, uh, and, you know, we're both passionate about the game and, and, and then, you know, you, you form a relationship and we just formed a, 
uh, a natural friendship. Actually, that the, the day we were at the gym, that's an interesting story because Rich was was here in South Florida. He had to come come into town and kind of clean up some stuff he'd left behind in a in a uh, uh, storage unit. So I said, "Well, why don't you just stay stay with me?" So he stayed stayed here at the house for a couple of days, and we went over to the gym. But I, I stay in touch with Rich. Uh, I know he's picking up a few things here and there, and he certainly belongs in the booth with somebody. And he's been doing some basketball, some other things for Fox Sports. And it's been crazy. I was watching a basketball game, and all of a sudden I'm hearing Rich's voice. And I'm like, <laughs> I feel like I should be watching a Marlins game right now. It was, it was kind of crazy to hear, but he did a great job, of course, calling any sport. And uh, he did a great job doing the ba- college basketball game I was watching. But it's funny, whenever I hear your voice, even right now, I just feel like I should be watching a Marlins game. It's, we associate your guys' voice with Marlins baseball for so long. Uh, mentioning the 19 years you worked uh, covering the Marlins, what was your favorite time? Can you give me a favorite year? I could tell you personally, besides the World Series year, for me it was 2008. That that infield, everyone hits 25 home runs. That team was fun to watch. They made a run at the wild card. I thought it was just a lot of fun baseball with young guys, kind of similar to this year with this team. Not quite as good in the win-loss column, but overachieving, impressive young players. What was your favorite year? of covering Marlins baseball? Well, I, I'd have to go to uh, 03. Uh, I mean, my first year was 97, and that was a World Series year, but I was just kind of getting my feet wet at that time uh, doing doing Marlins baseball. But 03, uh, with the way things happened uh, early in the year and, and Jeff Torborg being let go and then Jack McKeon coming on board and, and everybody just, uh, you know, buying into to Jack's uh, game plan and uh, watching that team uh, it just, you know, win big games. I mean, uh, being a wild card team and then, uh, uh, winning that series against the Giants and then the Cubs. And I mean, they, they just came up with big hit after big hit. Never to, to me also that, that was the best, uh, absolutely best infield, uh, defensively, not only offensively that, that I've seen with, with Mike Lowell and, and Alex and Louie and, and Derek Lee over first base. So, you know, you put all those things together, and I guess that's what it takes to win a World Series. There was pretty good pitching, too. And there were some young guys coming up, one of them by the name of Miguel Cabrera. What did you see in him? With that? I mean, one of, one of my favorite things that I've ever seen, I watch over and over again, is his at-bat against Roger Clemens. Fouls off in the World Series, fouls off, oh, I think almost six or seven balls, eventually beats Roger Clemens with a home run out to right field. With his approach, you mentioned Brian Anderson has a very veteran approach when he gets up to the plate. Do you see any similarities in the way they approach the game? Obviously, they're not similar in, in caliber of player, as good as Brian Anderson is. I mean, Miguel Cabrera is probably a first ballot Hall of Famer. But what have you seen in terms of approach when Miguel Cabrera was coming up to Brian Anderson and their poise and the way they carry themselves as rookies? Well, I, uh, one thing with uh, Brian Anderson, the fact that he uses the entire field uh, in in this day and age, you have so many guys with shifts and everything. They they don't adjust and they'll they'll pull everything. And I mean, he had uh, three base hits. Just as an example, yesterday the uh, home run was to right field. He had a base hit up the middle. And he had a double down the left field line. So and Miguel Cabrera did that. You could see that in him as a young hitter. Uh, I think at that home runoff, uh, Clemens, he also got buzzed with a fastball up and in too. And, and then 
I remember the home run he hit his uh, first game, extra inning home run against Tampa Bay. That was a uh, a walk off. Uh, that was his uh, his his signature moment, his first moment as a as a Marlin, and he had many. Uh, it's just an incredible hitter. Uh, even now, watching him when he's he's had some injuries, he's out this year for the whole year. But even when he's not healthy, he still knows how to swing the bat. And the thing that he does that really impresses me, like you said, he uses the whole field. He lets the ball get deep. He's, he's not afraid to get beat. And in that at-bat with Roger Clemens, even at 20 years old, Clemens buzzed him. Then he blew a fastball by him, beat him again, lay behind in the count 0-2 and battled all the way back. He didn't strike out a lot, and neither does Brian Anderson. He's not going to bring the power that Miguel Cabrera has, but he has that ability to battle at the plate, which is something that's refreshing to see because so many of these players now, even when we watch the Futures game, uh, you look at what happened in the Futures game, a lot of home runs and a lot of strikeouts. That's what's happening in the major leagues now, and it seems to be kind of the direction the league is going. What's, what, how do you feel about that with the high-volume home runs, high-volume strikeout type of guys being more common in today's game? Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a real fan of that, and that's why I probably love watching the approach that uh, Anderson has. Uh, talked to him the other day about how he chokes up about an inch on the bat uh, in certain situations, maybe with two strikes, maybe against a certain pitcher. Um, but you have all these kids that have come from uh, showcase games when they were in high school, and they go out to these showcases and all they do is have to show how hard they can throw or how far they can hit the ball. And that's, that's transferred into the way the game has, has gone. Now, I'm not really a fan of that. Um, I don't think you need, you don't need the defense that you used to have to have because guys are either striking out or they're hitting home runs. So you don't see as many balls put in play. Um, it's, it's unfortunate. I think some, someday it'll go back the other way where you'll see guys, uh, have to work on moving a runner over or or shortening up their swing with two strikes. Uh, you just don't see that that much anymore. That's, like I said, the refreshing thing about Brian Anderson. Miguel Cabrera is that rare balance of the two. You see some guys like Albert Pujols, even though he's slowed down a little bit. But those are the guys that I think end up sticking around longer than anyone, as good as those John Carlos Stanton and Aaron Judges are. There's just more room for error when you're dealing with that many strikeouts and things like that, you seem like you have a really good memory of everything that's happened in the booth from 2003 to 97 to whatever. What was your favorite moment, your favorite call that you've ever had? Oh, wow. You put me on the spot. I should have thought about this one for a while. (laughs) I know. I should have warned you, but I'm kind of curious to see what you come up with here on the spot. First of, like I said, uh, in, in doing games and especially as a, as an analyst, I react and I don't really have the calls of, uh, when I was working with Dave O'Brien or Len Casper or Rich, uh, they had the call and it was me to react. I, I can remember the, uh, the, the grand slam that, uh, Stanton hit off the, uh, the scoreboard. I think it was on Mother's Day or, or something at at, uh, at Marlins Park off Jamie Moyer. I think he crushed one of the lights. He, he broke a bunch of lights on the scoreboard. Uh, I, I remember that. That was uh, incredible. But, uh, you know, just being part of different moments and, and reacting. And I, I know sometimes I would get a little too excited and I'd step on Rich and he'd just laugh and, and, and we'd have fun with it. And I, I always appreciated him in allowing me to do that because I, I know 
other broadcasters, other play-by-play guys, they they might have gotten a little offended, and and Rich never did. Well, that's the thing. I was we were voting on some of. Uh, I actually put out a poll that was, uh, and we're going to get into that in a second because I want to talk about my favorite call of yours first. But we we're mentioning what's everyone's favorite Tommy rant, and. The funny thing is, in, in most of those rants, Rich just lets you go, and fans <laughs> love it, and then he just works around it so well. I mean, I even think about the the Jose Reyes error. I have quotation fingers up right now because that was absolutely insane to even give him an error in the first place, and uh, you were not happy with the call, and <laughs> and Rich was just making it so funny. I, I laugh every time I listen to it, and the way he worked with you is really, I think why fans loved it so much. And we're going to get in. I'm going to have you guess which, which rant won. I don't think well, my, I, you're going to know. Say, I would say, I would say my guess would be the, uh, the, the play at the plate involving against Cincinnati involving Jeff Mathis. That would be my guess, but I, but that, I don't know. I don't know what you have. <laughs> so you are very, very close. And I thought that one would win. Niger Morgan actually won at 42% of oh, the vote. When he got clotheslined by uh, Gabby. <laughs> yes. But the, the home plate call was very close second, I think, at 37%. But the home plate call, I was at that game, and I can promise you I'm pretty mellow when it comes to – when I'm sitting in the game, I don't like to bother people around me. I cheer, I clap, whatever. I was losing my mind at that call. And that was a, that was a weird time in baseball where they were trying to protect catchers because we saw, you know, guys like Buster Posey break their legs and catchers separate their shoulders. I mean, that's how the uh, Niger Morgan thing started was Brett Hayes separated his shoulder because he ran into him. And then it just kind of snow piled from there. You said in that, in that broadcast and, and we'll play it later that you thought the game of baseball would change due to that call. Do you think anything changed? Do you think it's still kind of an issue with the way things are working at home plate? Or did they kind of smooth out that issue? Because I haven't seen too many calls as controversial as that one. No, I think uh, the the young players have uh, adjusted with, you know, catchers giving uh, uh, a lane to the runners. And, and you, you know, you don't have any of those uh, collisions that you used to see. Um, I, I always laugh because they, they said they were trying to protect the catchers from concussions. Well, 99% of, of the catchers that have gotten concussions have been from foul balls, foul tips, mm-hmm. not from collisions at the plate. So uh, I, they were going in the wrong direction. I, I know they're trying to protect the catchers. They they try to protect second baseman, middle infielders, and, and it's just pretty soon it's going to be like softball, you know, no sliding. Uh <laughs> But but you're you're going into some of these rants and trust me when I'm when I'm in that mode I don't remember what I said so I a lot of times people ask me I said I don't remember. <laughs> Are you saying you just black out and just everything comes out? <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be my defense. That would be my defense if I had to go to court with that. I blacked out. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> that might be a good argument, but in terms of the positive, the the good the the good yelling the the happy yelling my favorite call of yours or favorite reaction rather dan ugla hits a home run off kevin gregg to tie the game yeah cody ross hits it is the walk off we're gonna play that clip real quick 
and then I okay. want to ask you about it. But this is my favorite call of yours so far. He's going to see another one. Cody Ross, left field. That one's deep. That one's it's over. over. Walk off. Cody Ross, just like that. Back to back. Oh, in Chicago, they love to call it back to back jacks. Guess what? Back to back jacks. So that is by far my favorite. Just because of. You literally yell in the booth. I mean, that, that's you literally yell like a fan in the booth, and that is what's so refreshing from fans because it's not this censored, trying to contain yourself reaction. It's authentic. It's what everyone's feeling, and it's supports- well. I, actually, yes, some of it was censored, or I would have been gone a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I'll take it a step back. It's not completely censored, <laughs> and I think that's that's what fans love because the passion. You can tell how much you love the game of baseball, and that's. It came out into our living room. You know, my father and I are running around. I'm doing laps around our table. And to hear you guys just as excited as we are, I think, is what made it so refreshing. But take me through that exact game. If you can remember as well as I do, I'm sure you do. What was that like to see back-to-back home runs, the walk-off from the clutch man Cody Ross himself? Take me through the emotions of that in the booth. Yeah, first of all, you, you gotta you gotta remember there are two guys who you know I, I it's it's hard to not have favorites over the years, and you're talking about two guys who who were favorites. You know, his name is is uh, Dan Ugla. I mean, we we had <laughs> we used to tell every broadcast we they did come into town. They go, how does he pronounce his name? We go, his name is Dan Ugla. <laughs> So, and then Cody Ross was not, he not only was one of our favorites, he was a fan favorite too. And uh, so, so when those two guys did what they did in that game, I mean, it just, just takes you to another, to another level. Uh, not, not saying maybe if two other guys did it, it might not be the same, but you know, those two guys, because they were good guys, they, they played the game hard and, and uh, it, you know, it just took it that way. So the close second was also a Cody Ross home run. The two-run walk-off shot to right center on cowbell night. I was at that game as well. That's probably the most excited I've ever been at a ballpark. I was really close between those two, but I liked your reaction more on that one. The cowbell night. See, I have no idea what you said. (laughs) Oh, you actually, (laughs) there was a quote you said at the end. You said you live with them, you die with them, but you got to love them. He walks off against Cornell and the Reds, and the Marlins win a wild one in South Florida. Ball game. Ring those cowbells. You got to love them. You die with them. And then you gotta love them. That was what you said about the Marlins when they walked it off there. And it's true because they have, there's been a lot of ups and downs, but that 2008, there was a lot of ups. That was probably one of the best atmospheres I've had at a Marlins game. It was one of those Friday fireworks. Maybe it was one of those super Saturdays with a concert after. I know it was a weekend game. How do you remember that whole night? I know a lot of, a lot of, fans and when I asked them to 
to what kind of questions that they wanted me to ask you. It was more just have Tommy tell us what he remembers about these nights. And that was one of them that was that a lot of people asked about. What do you remember about the atmosphere and in the booth? I think you guys were ringing the cowbells like crazy uh, when he was around in the bases. Yeah, that was uh, the cowbells were probably a little different than Vuvuzela night. I, I remember that one. Oh too. no! Oh yeah. <laughs> but you know, there was there was a, a great atmosphere because of the the noise, and uh, you know, again, so much of this stuff happens, and and truly, uh, uh, I think that's why. Over the years, uh, fans always appreciated what I did because I kind of felt in the booth maybe what they were feeling uh, watching the game. And, you know, sometimes I we've had so many games. If, I couldn't tell you how many games I've been a part of as a broadcaster that, you know, they at times they kind of run together. Uh, but those moments are, are great. I love hearing the, the replays of them because it brings, brings back memories to me, too. That's the thing is what's amazing about it is I can just hear that call and I can tell you exactly where I was when I was listening to it, when I was going through all of sifting through all of the broadcast before I was having you on, it almost took me back in time. And I'm sure it does the same thing for you even more so where I could remember I was in the living room with my dad watching that game or I was at the game right there, uh, you know, at Marlins Park or at, at the old stadium. At whatever the six names, I mean, that must have been difficult for you guys to keep up. You must have always wanted to call it Joe Robbie. I'm sure it's changed every year, but that was uh, that was definitely something that really took me back. But also, you aren't going to skate free without me playing the Niger Morgan rant because I want to ask you a little bit about that. Of course, it starts with Niger Morgan. Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to try and take us through the uh, series of events. Niger Morgan trucks Brett Hayes, and he separates his shoulder. Marlins hit. Niger Morgan in a professional manner right in the back. He goes to first. It's a 10-run game. Then he steals second and third. Marlins did not like that, so they hit him again. Or threw behind him, rather. Volstad yeah, does. Chris and that's Volstad. when he Chris charges Volstad him out. Volstad was a pitcher. Chris Volstad was a pitcher, right? Yes. Volstad was yeah. the pitcher. He throws behind yeah. him. Morgan charges the mound. And that's where all chaos breaks loose. And Gabby clotheslines him. I actually had the opportunity to talk to Gabby Sanchez about that a little bit. And, uh, and he said Niger actually later apologized next year at spring training and they, uh, cleared the air. But what, what Gabby told me is he just said, no one is allowed to touch my pitcher. He said, I'm going to get there before anyone gets to my pitcher, which I thought was a pretty cool thing to hear because he had to run a probably like a three five to the mound or even quicker to beat a speedy Niger Morgan to the mound himself. So, Take me through that before I'm going to play the call real quick. And then I'm going to ask you to kind of take me through, but this is after the fight. And this is when Niger Morgan is being taken off the field. And this was your take on what you thought about Niger Morgan's actions throughout the series. And the rest of the Washington nationals can thank Niger Morgan for everything that just happened. He's their teammate. This guy has some serious problems. If Major League Baseball doesn't do something about Niger Morgan, then they're coming up short. Well, what, what, what was happening when he was coming off the field? He he was enticing the fans. It was almost like a uh, at at a WWE wrestling event. Uh, he was <laughs> he was trying he was trying to incite uh, the fans and raise. I can picture him raising his hands up in the air. 
And to me, that was just wrong. I mean, that's not uh, that's not the way the game's played. I mean, okay, I know he came into the plate hard. He got dusted. That's that should be it. And uh, for Gabby, that was probably the best jump Gabby got all year. Uh, <laughs> 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 well, what's amazing about your recollection with this is I'm playing the video from from my side of things on on, on the computer, and I'm watching it. And you're perfectly painting the picture of what his jersey completely undone, fans booing, and he's putting his hands up, like you said, like he's yep. trying to hype up the crowd, like 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 a WWE match. That's an absolutely incredible uh, comparison to make, and and it really was puzzling to see him do that, and that was something that was pretty amazing to me. But so Nigel Morgan won a forty-two percent close second was that uh, that home plate call we talked about. And then third place was the Jose Reyes error. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Well, there, there, are probably a few, there are probably a few scorekeepers over the years that have not appreciated some of the stuff I've, I've said. But, you know, I, in, in all honesty, all of my uh, second guesses or rants, whatever you want to call them, were, on, were for the Marlins, were, were on plays that were against – the Marlins. So I think fans, again, if they were home watching, they probably felt the same way. And that's, uh, that's probably why they related a little bit to me. I think that's why fans have really grabbed a hold of you is because it's sort of frustrating when things are transpiring on the screen and you have all of these frustrations at home and, and no one's acknowledging them because sometimes people are afraid to or are, are afraid to say it the way that fans would probably say it. And it was refreshing when your frustrations were almost voiced on TV where I was like, you know, that's not an error. They've got to correct that. And it's, and you're right there saying that's not an error that needs to be corrected. And I think that was something that was really refreshing for fans to not have that. Like I said before, almost sifted through more calculated sort of semantics type of, of things where, where in types of words where, it's almost everything is is censored. Uh, not well, that you, think, you acknowledge that it's still happened. censored a little bit. Yeah, what's happened in the in the game uh, today? It's become so uh, so numbers oriented with all the uh, saber metrics and and uh, the the OPS and the WAR and the slugging percentage, which is a part of the game. Now, I I, I understand that, but there's also a, a tremendous human side to the game. And I think sometimes, especially when you, you have your home team, you want to, uh, you want to relate to, to your players. And so as, as opposed to just relating to numbers. And I think that's, there's, there's a fine line between both. And I think sometimes it's gotten a little more away to the numbers. And that's something that Derek Jeter has even touched on too, acknowledging that it's a part of the game, but he also says, there's some things that you can just see that advanced metrics don't show you. You can see if a guy's a ball player. There's so many other intangibles that come into factor, and that's something that Derek Jeter said plenty. What's your take on all of the saber metrics? You acknowledged just now that you know it's a part of the game, and it's definitely something that tells a little bit of a story. But being a player that played before all of these crazy saber metrics, where it was pretty much just on base percentage, batting average. And that's kind of what you looked at in overall run production. What's your take on it? Do you think it's a little bit too much? The game's going a little bit too much in that direction, or do you think that is the future of baseball? 
Well, it's uh, it's probably the future in a lot of things, uh, and and I would hope it doesn't get any worse uh, because the numbers are important. You you can find out a lot uh, when you look at some of the numbers, but I think you can also find out a lot uh, when you you talk to a, a young player. Hey, I've found out. I don't have to look at numbers to find out about what kind of guys uh, JT Real Muto and and Brian Anderson, who we talked about earlier, what they're like. And you hear scouts uh, even now they they scout young players. And yes, there are certain things they look for in in physical abilities. But you'll hear a scout say, "Yes, but this guy has great character. He's he's going to be good for a team." And that's the kind of guy you want. You want to have a whole bunch of those guys in your clubhouse. Well, you mentioned having those guys that are great for your team. One of the questions that was tweeted at us that I loved was someone, as we, as we kind of conclude here, this was definitely something I wanted to say for the end. Your Mount Rushmore of Marlins players, it doesn't have to necessarily be, I know I'm putting you on the spot again. I'm sorry about that, but it, it doesn't necessarily have to be in terms of Run production talent numbers. Just your mouth. Hey, before, before, before you ask, before you ask the question, I'm going to give you the answer. You ready? Let's hear it. Juan Pierre. That's it. That is a great one. Juan Pierre. <laughs> Juan Pierre. And what about other? Do you have any one or two other guys other than Juan Pierre? Well, a couple of those guys we talked about before: Cody Ross, uh, Dan Ogla. Uh, you know, hard, hard-nosed players. Uh, Mike Lowell, uh, unbelievable Michael. human being. Uh, Derek Lee was uh, 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 tremendous. Charles Johnson back a little bit uh, earlier. And I'm I'm going to miss guys. You know, I'm going to miss naming different guys. Al Leiter mm-hmm. was always fun to be around. Uh, Al Leiter and I ha- have an interesting uh, uh, history because I was doing, uh, in the late 80s, uh, doing Yankees games. And Al Leiter got called up, uh, and I saw him pitch his first game with the Yankees. Uh, in the 90s, he got traded to the Toronto Blue Jays, and I was working with the Toronto Blue Jays at the time, doing their TV. So I saw Al Leiter with Toronto. And then we both ended up in, in Miami with the Marlins. And I remember when he got traded to the Mets, I said, Hey, Al, does that mean I'm going to the Mets too? <laughs> <laughs> Wow, that's something else. So you definitely formed a relationship with him there. Were you with the Marlins when he threw that no-hitter, or was that just before? Just before. That's the only uh, – uh, I didn't see that one. And, um, uh, yeah, because he threw that one in, I believe, 96. That's what I thought. Okay, I wasn't positive. And what made you so sure about Juan Pierre? I mean, my, my grandmother is a diehard Marlins fan, Has used to go to the games every single Friday. Juan Pierre was her favorite. I don't. I couldn't tell you why. I think she just loved to smile and the way he carried himself and the way he played the game. But Juan Pierre was her favorite. Anytime I could get anything Juan Pierre for her, she was the happiest woman in the entire world. But well, why did you like Juan Pierre so much? Because <laughs> I'm sure your reasons are a little different than my grandmother's. <laughs> maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Uh, I could be as old as your grandmother. Uh, but, <laughs> he, you know, he, he, he was... He is. He still is. He's uh, he's humble. Uh, he he respected uh, everybody around the game. Uh, he played hard. He wanted to play. I think his first uh, few years with the Marlins, he played every game. 
so he wanted to be in there all the time. And uh, to to this day, if I see him, he still calls me Mister Hutton. So, <laughs> yeah. But, wow. but we had uh, we had uh, uh, yesterday on our pregame show, we had Lewis Brinson on. And growing up in in South Florida, uh, Juan Pierre was his his idol. He loved Juan Pierre, and now he's gotten a chance to work with him a little bit uh, and play in the outfield. Uh, you know, working with him in spring training. So it's been a treat for for Brinson, who's another quality uh, young man too. Uh, we haven't talked about him too much because he's he's hurt right now. But as another example of a guy with some tremendous tools, but also has a great character. Oh, I was going to ask you about Brinson. I mean, we've heard so many great things about him. He it's great with interviews. You can tell he's very well spoken, very smart carries himself really well. He struggled a lot this year and doesn't seem to let it get to him. You know, keeps plugging away. He's he's young. It's his first season. What have you seen from what what it seems like from from afar? It seems like he's staying positive, working through everything, and he knows that he's going to make it out of the other side that there's a light at the end of the tunnel. What have you seen with Brenton struggling a little bit and and what have you seen that makes you think that or more positive that he will get to the other side and bust out of this? Well, I think it's because actually just before he got hurt, you could see uh, see some progress. Number one, it's because uh, he does have a good approach. And number two, he, he's not afraid to put in the time and he works at it and he has the tools. He has he has that ability. I mean, you can put in all the work you want. I mean, I did that and I wasn't a superstar because I didn't have the tools. I didn't have the ability. Uh, but if you have those and also put in the work, uh, then hopefully that'll transpire into a good career. And Brinson has been putting in the work. It's been unbelievable to see. He's he's slowly plugged away. We've seen how much power he has. He's blasted some balls out of the ballpark of 430, 440 plus feet. It's just putting together the consistency and everything along there. Before I let you go, you mentioned Brinson, you mentioned Brian Anderson. What else do you like? Who else do you really like from this team moving forward? Who are those high character guys, those Juan Pierre, Cody Ross type of guys that you think could be the future of this team so far that you've really liked. You well, mentioned Riddle as well earlier. Yeah, I mentioned JT Riddle. Uh, there, there are some guys who I haven't had a chance to to talk to or get to know who are in the minor leagues now who have come over in some of the trades the Marlins made. And I know some of those guys have those qualities as well. Um, I, I Just in, in the brief time, I, I saw him interviewed, and I, I just spoke to him briefly. But the uh, young pitcher Pablo Lopez, who uh, has had a couple of starts, two or three starts under his belt, he looks like he's that kind of guy. Uh, heck, is he's a guy who's going to go to medical school for crying out loud. So you know he's he's got some smarts, and uh, and so see him uh, kind of the second half of the season how he falls into the rotation. So guys like that, I know. Uh, Kyle Bearclaw and and Steckenrider and 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 Adam Conley, who I got to know, he was he was coming up with the ball club uh, my last year, and and those guys in the bullpen, they they have it, they get it. That's a, a term that you hear, and and you hear somebody say, well, you know what, he gets it, and when you hear that about a kid, that's always good. And Adam Conley actually just wrote a piece about moving from starter to the bullpen. Upped his velocity on the fastball about four ticks, slider about three, 
and he's just going high high volume strikeouts now with his plus plus stuff able to go max effort in that one inning and he really seems to have figured it out and that's just a matter of like you said having it plugging away kind of like Lewis Brinson and trusting that you can figure it out in some capacity even if it doesn't work out as a starter now he's looking like an elite bullpen arm possibly if those numbers that he's putting up continues but so far it's been really impressive to see his transition from from starter to reliever yeah i think uh i don't want to compare him to uh to an andrew miller but it, he's on on track to become you know in that the category from a young pitcher who was a starter and had trouble uh, with command and sometimes velocity and we all know what it's done to the career of uh, Andrew Miller and you can certainly see that that path for uh, for Adam Conley and as long as he's accepted that that's his role now in the bullpen I, that's even better and that's actually the exact comparison I made in my piece and you'd be surprised at how similar they were in their transition from starter to reliever in terms of the stuff they used and their ticks up upticks in velocity and things along those lines. But Tommy, I wish I could keep you all day. I know you have other things to do and places to go, but I, I could do this show for two hours with you. I have so much Marlins stuff and information to ask you about, but thank you for coming on. And I do have one last request. Can you give us one last, his name is Dan Ugla. Uh, wait, wait, let, let, let me give you one quick, uh, when I was talking about Andrew Miller, I, w- I was thinking of this also. Uh, and I mentioned it the other day with the Marlins uh, having Cameron Mabin now. And I remember when Cameron Mabin, who is another uh, tremendous uh, quality guy, when he came over with Miller in that big trade with the Tigers when uh, Miguel Cabrera left, you know, Cameron Mabin was this young, talented player. And now he's had a, a nice career and he he gives the clubhouse some nice leadership. Uh, the fact that he's been around. Uh, and and I, I didn't I didn't want to fail to to mention him because he's he again is a nice quality guy and it's he's been good for this team too. Well, he's another one I wanted to mention to you because or, or at least get you to talk about, but I, I actually slipped my mind as well. You watched him come up. He struggled a little bit in the beginning. Yes, ended up having a pretty good career, like you said. I mean, anytime you're staying in the MLB for ten plus years or almost ten plus, or actually over ten plus years now, which is amazing. I feel. Like time flies, but anyways, you're you're doing something right. He wins a World Series with the Astros and has all of that experience to bring back. He's really been a guy that I, I think has been a great bat off the bench. Definitely, as you said, one of the best gloves you'll see in the outfield. So I'm sure he's helped Brinson out there because Brinson has the ability to be an elite outfielder. Yeah, so yeah. yes, he is. Uh, that's what I figured, and and he takes really good routes to the ball. They're both so quick out there, and the Marlins have the ability to, with Mabin and Brinson out there at the same time. That's easily one of the best defensive outfields in the league. Once the bats get going, I mean, that's that could be something to be very excited about. I do want to hear that one, one last. His name is Dan Ugla because that was a request as well. <laughs> I, I I don't know if I if I yell it too loud. I've I've already lost my voice a little bit here. I'm. I'm working on something. I, I I might lose it. I I might wake up my granddaughter in the other room if I yell it too loud. <laughs> <laughs> well, we don't but want to I, wake up any granddaughters. <laughs> the, the 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 one part of it, if I don't get the volume up there, is that there was a sense of uh, 
what's the what's the term I want? It was like uh, you guys don't know his name is Dan Ugla. So it was kind of like <laughs> he had to tell him that uh, who it was. He just didn't <laughs> well, I was know. actually going to ask you the origin. I was going to ask you the origin of that, and you you hit on it. I literally have it written in my notes right here. Ask the origin of his name is Dan Ugla, and I figured that's what it was because. I'm doing some broadcasting out here uh, in Rhode Island for for the Newport Goals in the NECBL Summer Collegiate League. And we have a couple guys with tough names, and the away broadcasters always come with the same questions of the same guys. And I always have to say, his name is this, his name is that. Uh, but it was really funny to, to hear you kind of explain the story behind his name is Dan Ugla, and it's great to hear it one last time because, unfortunately, he's not hitting home runs in the MLB anymore. You know, I, I, it's, that's a great point. Uh, I was talking to some people the other day, and the uh, the participants in the home run derby, not to take anything away. I mean, Bryce Harper, he, he could be fun to watch. But it's just not like the home run derby when you had uh, Stanton and Judge and all those guys. And I, I understand why certain guys just don't want to do it. But I'm thinking, I'm thinking, boy, you could bring back Dan Ugla. You could have uh, Big Poppy. Uh, you could have Ichiro in the home run derby, and, and more people might watch. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, you could have Barry Bonds. I mean, remember we had the story coming out before uh, when he was the hitting coach for the Marlins that he had actually won a home run derby against the team, and that was when he was going on uh, 48, 49 years old. So, I, I mean, those guys I'm sure can still hit. I'm sure Dan Ugo still has the Popeye forearms, and I'm sure you can still put him into the upper deck at uh, at Sun Life Stadium or – I think yeah, sunlight. Nope, nope. Hard Rock Stadium. Sorry, that's that's the eighth name. I gotta I gotta keep gotta keep it fresh in my mind. But um, yeah, Hard Rock Stadium. But when he was playing, he was either Land Shark, Sun Life, Joe Robbie. Uh, that's a good trivia question. I'm gonna have to. I should have hit you with that one earlier. But anyway, thank you, Tommy, for coming on. One last thing. What's your prediction for the Derby? Since we're not having as impressive as players as you said. Who's your prediction to win the home run? Well, I, I'm not predicting. I'm picking. I, I made this pick the other day on the air. Uh, Jeff Nelson went with Javi Baez, and I went with Kyle Schwarber. Uh, I, I tapped into my uh, Chicago sources, and I sent out a text to Len Casper. And I said, hey, Len, give me, give me some words on Schwarber. And he goes, this guy hits bombs. He's the long driver of the group, and he's lost 30 pounds. He's in great shape, but he said he hadn't lost any muscle. So I'm going to go with Schwarber. I, I just like the way he swings the bat. He he clubs some baseballs, and the, the long driver is definitely the good uh, comparison to make. Anyway, Tommy, thanks for coming on. It was a pleasure, and we're looking forward to seeing you on the air as it's going to ramp up in the second half of the season, correct? Yeah, pretty soon. I think I'm back on uh, from the studio on Saturday. Well, we're looking forward to it. Thanks again, Tommy. Okay, Arm. Thank, thanks a lot for having me. Hope hope things went well.